Decemberists, this is why we fight, and this is Labor Lines on KRFP, Moscow, Idaho, 90.3 FM, krfp.org. That version, excuse me, I'm John Andrzejczyk, and that version from the King is Dead album is the one I used to open this program, which is pushing uh, well past two and a half years. I used to open this uh, show for the first year or so before I started looking for other covers or other versions by the same artists. Again, the Decemberists, again from the 2006 album, The King Is Dead. I'd like to start out this uh, episode of Labor Lines, which I'm recording on the 14th of November to air on the 16th in a couple of days. I'd like to start this out by thanking Mark and Jill Lawrence, for supporting this show with KRSP's Adopt a DJ program. There's a way uh, a listener or a group of listeners or an organization can support a, a specific program among all the great programming on this community supported, community supporting radio station. If you'd like to find out how you could do that, become uh, a supporter of a specific program or become a general member, please go to krfp.org. Again, this is a show I'm recording on the 14th of November from my home in Longview. I'm going to be playing an interview of about a week old with Nicole Cotton with the Oregon Federation of Nurses and Health Professionals as we talked about the strike call that was set to 
start at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, November 15th. Those of you following that will see that that's been called off as there is a TA or tentative agreement between Kaiser and their thousands of employees. I'd like to also point out there is still a strike, I believe going on almost 60 days with operating engineers at some, if not all of the Kaiser facilities. So please keep that in mind. We still have brothers and sisters out on the picket line. I believe there's actually 300 strikes going on in the United States. If you want to find a strike map, and if you want to see if you can become involved, go out there, bring some food to them, show up, offer solidarity. You can go to the AFL-CIO site, the American Federation of Labor Congress of Industrial Organizations, the Federation of Labor Organizations. I believe there's almost 60 there, the largest group representing workers, organized labor, organized workplaces in the United States of America. You can go and see, they now have a strike map, see if there's one close to you. I will warn you to show up for the first time on a picket line at a labor rally. You will not leave the same person. This is a transforming event for most of us, for the 99%, but I hope you'll consider that. Again, at the AFL-CIO strike. So we're going to play that interview coming up in this two-hour show. I'm going to replay an interview with Scott Oldham with the Local 10 of the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. Uh, that was earlier in the year when they were taking some direct action in support of their workers. That, too, is going to be dated even more so than the first one and that they had come to terms with some contracts with their contractors. Uh, I don't have all the details on that. I've been trying to get hold of Scott. But the value of that interview, if you will, is really to listen to this man, this, this incredible uh, leader in labor, in the current labor struggle, as he speaks about how he empowered his workers. So I, I'm, I'm sure that you're going to find that valuable, regardless of the current situation with those workers. If you'd like to give me feedback on that, if you'd like to get hold of me, suggest some interviews, some music, please do so at laborlinejohn at yahoo.com. If you'd like to follow me, that would be at Twitter, Twitter, excuse me, laborlinejohn. You also can catch this show in, in its entire entirety after it airs, uploaded on a podcast, also Labor Lines. Find it on Anchor FM, Spotify, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Google, and some other platforms. So you can catch the entire show after it airs. You also can catch standalone interviews. Uh, and so that will be available. Again, thank you. I'm John Andrzejczyk. This is Labor Lines. Going to get into some music as I usually do in the first part of a show. Fellow citizens, we cannot escape history. That is what he said. That is what Abraham Lincoln said. Fellow citizens, we cannot escape history. We of this Congress and this administration will be remembered in spite of ourselves. 
no personal significance or insignificance can spare one or another of us. The fiery trial through which we pass will light us down in honor or dishonor to the latest generation. We, even we here, hold the power and bear the responsibility. This is what he said. This is what Abe Lincoln said. The dogmas of the quiet past are inadequate to the stormy present. The occasion is piled high with difficulty, and we must rise with the occasion. As our case is new, so we must think anew and act anew. We must disenthrall ourselves, and then we shall save our country. When standing erect, he was six feet four inches tall. And this is what he said. He said, It is the eternal struggle between two principles, right and wrong, throughout the world. It is the same spirit that says, You toil and work and earn bread, and I'll eat it, no matter in what shape it comes, whether from the mouth of a king who seeks to bestride the people of his own nation and live by the fruit of their labor, or from one race of men as an apology for enslaving another race, it is the same tyrannical principle. Lincoln was a quiet man. Abe Lincoln was a quiet and a melancholy man. But when he spoke of democracy, this is what he said. He said, as I would not be a slave, so I would not be a master. This expresses my idea of democracy. Whatever differs from this, to the extent of the difference, is no democracy.
Abraham Lincoln, 16th President of these United States, is everlasting in the memory of his countrymen. For on the battleground at Gettysburg, this is what he said. He said that from these honored dead, we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, and that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth.
people laughing Heard the song of a poet who died in the gutter Heard the sound of a clown who cried in the alley And it's hard, it's a hard And it's a hard, it's a hard It's a hard rain Gonna fall
Drive-by truckers, the day John Henry died, Dylan going back to the Newport Folk Festival, lighting that one up, Maggie's Farm, Annis Mitchell covering Dylan, Hard Rain, and what did we do? We started out with Aaron Copeland having James Earl Jones narrate the Lincoln Portrait. These times, the same, not as dramatic, obviously, not as deadly as the Civil War, but nonetheless, here are the times we live in, and it will light us up for generations, for good or for ill. The show is Labor Lines, 
on KRFP, Moscow, Idaho, 90.3 FM, krfp.org, and I'm John Andercheck. Thank you. This is John Andercheck with Labor Lines, the radio show on KRFP, Moscow, Idaho, 90.3 FM, and Labor Lines, the podcast on Anchor FM and some other platforms. Today, the 6th of November, joining me is Nicole Braun-Cotton. She is uh, with the Oregon Federation of Nurses and Healthcare Pro- uh, Providers, uh, local with the American Federation of Teachers. She is uh, with the Bargain Committee right now, dealing with Kaiser Permanente, which is in the news. And uh, Nicole, thanks for joining me. And I'll just kind of leave it up to you to kind of introduce yourself some more if you want. And we can start talk uh, talk about what's going on with Kaiser Permanente, perhaps some background, and get go into the current state of affairs. So thanks again for joining me. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, as you mentioned, I am a member of the bargaining team for OFNHP, which is AFT Local 5017 in Portland, Oregon. And I, uh, by trade, am an acute care physical therapist. So I'm a hospital-based therapist. I work on the med surge and critical care units. Um, and I've been working for Kaiser Permanente for almost four years now. Excellent. So yeah, again, that's very interesting. You're your acute care PT, as we talked about off the air. That's uh, not how most of us think of physical therapy. I'm sure that's a, a very intense profession, and I'm sure you're dedicated to your work as as healthcare providers are, uh, Nicole. So again, we're in the news. Uh, Kaiser Permanente. I think we're talking about sixty thousand workers nationwide are in uh, kind of an impasse. I'll use that term, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Over. Uh, two issues generally, as you said, fundamentally, and that is staffing, which even before COVID uh, was problematic in my understanding, but certainly with COVID uh, being intensified and a great burden on workers, and a proposal by uh, Kaiser Permanente to get into a two-tiered structure for wages and benefits for some of the employees. So uh, do you want to kind of enlighten our listeners on what's going on with that? Yeah, I'd be happy. Um, let me give you a little bit of background. At, uh, at Kaiser Permanente, we have something called the Labor Management Partnership. And OFNHP as a union is part of a broader structure of 21 brother and sister unions that are part of the Alliance of Healthcare Workers. And that is who is in partnership with Kaiser Management. And uh, so right now, we are in eight, the Alliance operates in eight regions. There are a total of 52,000 members, and about 40,000 of them have passed strike authorization votes at this time. Um, OSNHP, UNAC, and United Steelworkers, the latter of the two in Southern California, have put in 10-day um, notices to strike, which means, and for Oregon, the notice starts on November 15th at 6 a.m. because in healthcare you have to give a specific time and date and an amount of warning so that the employer is able to set up um, coverage for the patients that uh, need care. And uh, we have been, I have, I'm on the professional bargaining team. 
We have been in negotiations at the table with Kaiser for over six months. And to be frank, it has not felt at any point in the process like those negotiations have been in good faith. It's been incredibly frustrating to get even clear discussion on minor gains. The larger issues that you mentioned at the top aside. So we've come to the place where Kaiser Management has really forced us into a position where we feel that collective action is the only option available to us to help guarantee the staffing that we're going to need going forward to provide our patients with adequate safe care. Very good. That's right. And that's the big issue there. As we've seen before COVID, in my judgment, COVID brought to light the fact that so many critical institutions were basically sitting on sand as we got into minimal staffing, minimal facilities, Nicole. And you mentioned, but I'll start out with going back to your figure of 40,000 workers among those core unions voting for strike organization. That's about a two-thirds, approximately two-thirds strike authorization vote, which is very strong. So that does indicate a united front among the workers, which again, at your position of bargaining with management, should enlighten management of what you have behind you. Would you say that's correct? So it's funny, you know, I could understand why the math would come out that way. But actually, each individual local voted, and the locals that were eligible to vote, which is to say those locals whose contracts were open, all of them voted, to my knowing, at a greater than 90% margin voting to authorize a strike. And I would like to be very clear. We don't want to walk out. We don't want to leave our patients in the hands of workers who are less familiar with the systems that they're working within and who are strangers to one another and do not have the personal relationships that we have with our colleagues. We don't want to walk out on a strike line the week before Thanksgiving in the pouring rain for free. But this is an organization that has $44.5 billion in cash reserves. They cleared $2 billion in operating profits in 2020. They refused $500 million of federal aid during the pandemic. And now they are saying that they need to make health care affordable on our backs. And we just can't have it. It's a bridge too far. And that would have been true even before the pandemic. But after the pandemic, quite frankly, it's unconscionable. Absolutely. Nicole, again, Nicole Braun-Cotton with the Oregon Federation of Nurses and Health Care Providers joining me today. Nicole, so the two fundamentals there, maybe we could get into first staffing. Again, staffing was a problem beforehand and COVID made it worse. Do you have specific proposals on the table that management has rejected? And can you discuss those either in general or in detail? So we do have 
uh, proposals that management has rejected. And I can discuss them in general, but not in detail, because it's very complicated to staff a healthcare organization. There are a number of different disciplines, and what would work for the nurses is going to be different than what's going to work for the physical therapists, which is going to be different than what works for the phlebotomists or for our environmental services. Broadly speaking, we want enough people to do the work in a way that is safe, ethical, and sustainable. We want to have time to care for our patients. We want to be able to provide the care that they are paying for when they, pro when they pay their premiums. And that means access to services. There should not be a six-week wait time after you've had a stroke to get access to a physical therapist. That is a waste of valuable time for healing. Um, so, and we would like our nurse staffing ratios to be such that our charge nurses are not consistently forced to take patients. We want the organization to consider the sustainability for its employees as well as for its larger, larger community membership. Excellent. That's some great points there. And again, the sustainability of the worker, as we see more and more workers are being burned out. We have uh, other industries where uh, workers have been working 80, 90 hours a week at some of the plants uh, for uh, months now, for uh, almost a year. And uh, uh, in such care as health care, well, in any work situation that can lead to uh, accidents, injuries, and deaths to the worker and in healthcare, obviously, that could lead to some uh, risk of, of the same situation for patients, Nicole. So you're looking at staffing. Again, I understand that would be very complicated. And uh, the other uh, fundamental issue is the two-tier. And I'll just throw this out of my take on it, not to put words in your mouth, but to me, a two-tier system where either new employees or other employees uh, receive, well, you're paying less for for the same work, be it benefits or wages, is uh, while it's touted as uh, a necessary uh, cost uh, control, to me what it's all about is dividing the workplace and dividing the workers, but go ahead. I completely agree with you. And it's broadly acknowledged that this year is a union busing technique. And so just for people who may not be familiar, what it means is, um, the organization says, listen, the people who already work here, you get to keep your wages and benefits intact. But after a certain marker, in this case in 2023, anybody that we hire will be hired on different terms than the employees that are already here. And that serves to do two things. Uh, one of the things is that it effectively puts a target on the backs of uh, more senior employees because they're the more expensive group. And you know as an organization that if you can incentivize them to leave, uh, then you're able to fill those positions at, with lower cost workers. Also, over time, it divides the solidarity of the labor force because it, immediately it's not so much a problem. Five years down the road, all of the people that have been hired on the lesser terms have no real um, vested interest in protecting the wages and benefits of those that came before them. So it sets up conflict 
between workers. And of course, management depends on conflicts between workers to break solidarity. Because when we stick together, we do have the power. Absolutely. Again, I'm speaking with Nicole Braun-Cotton with the Oregon Federation of Nurses and Healthcare Providers. This is John Andercheck recording for Labor Lines, the radio show, and Labor Lines, the podcast on the 6th of November. Nicole, one thing that struck me, and this will be the case in, in many jobs, uh, industrial jobs, construction where I've worked in the past, is when you incentivize the experienced worker, you are uh, increasing the risk for accidents. And uh, in healthcare, again, uh, you're increasing the risk of of, of poor care or worse uh, for the patient as you lose that experience. But management doesn't seem to uh, be too concerned about that under this proposal. No, they don't. And, you know, one of the things about two-tier that's really worth remarking on in this instance is we are facing a healthcare staffing shortage in this country, as you mentioned earlier. This is something that has really been predicted since the early 2000s and that COVID has most certainly accelerated with the retiring of about 500,000 healthcare workers by some estimates over the last two years. So we already don't have enough people who are willing and able to do the work. I cannot imagine how management thinks that offering to pay them less to do the same work is going to do anything that accelerates the crisis that we are already in. Because why would you offer, is, is, is the work that we're doing right now somehow going to be worth less in 2023? That strikes me as kind of ridiculous. Well, that's very well put. Yeah, absolutely. And again, they could say all they want, but uh, the, the point here is uh, to increase the profit margin and to uh, divide the workplace. Uh, when you see what uh, organizations will pay to to either break a strike or to prevent or a uh, workplace from being organized, you you realize they're not even worried about whatever extra wages or benefits uh, they might pay out under organized workplace because they'll spend a hundred dollars to one to keep the union out. The, the cost isn't an issue in my opinion, Nicole. And that, and then I want to let go back to uh, what you said earlier because when you speak about solidarity, a ninety percent strike authorization is noteworthy. Uh, the veteran labor organizers will always talk about uh, those uh, those checks in there, those stress tests, and that's one of them. Because if you have to go and walk, uh, knowing you have that much behind your back as one of the bargainers, uh, uh, that's in a good position. No, again, not that you want to go on strike, but to know that you have that type of uh, confidence behind you uh, speaks volumes. I agree, and we've um, we've just seen a lot of people get engaged around these issues in, in the previous few months because it's so important, and people feel deeply invested in defending their ability to provide safe care to our patients. And I think it's important to remark Kaiser is uh, set up a little bit differently than other healthcare organizations. And one of the ways that that's true is the vast majority of Kaiser employees are also Kaiser members. 
which means we're defending our ability to give care to ourselves, our families, our neighbors, in ways that are really, really personal. And people are taking it really seriously. We don't feel like if these proposals go through, we will be able to give the quality of care that we can be proud of. Well, that's very well put, Nicole. And then speaking of uh, management's willingness to spend whatever it takes to defeat uh, the workers, to defeat a union, be it if they're trying to organize or, in your case, trying to bargain uh, for the the good of the workers and for the good of the community, uh, which is uh, small cap and big cap bargaining for the common good, which is exactly what I'm hearing from you, uh, is the issue we spoke about before we got on on uh, on recording here, Nicole, excuse me, and that's uh, Kaiser touting that they're going to backfill by bringing travelers in, as, as it's called, locums, um, and that's going to cost them a lot, but again, they don't see, they're not going to be worried about that. I'm sure they'll tout it as uh, their concern about the patient, uh, and they will also speak, uh, people are given the impression, wrongly in my opinion, that it's the workers who are abandoning the care of patients. You also see this in education, abandoning the students. And um, do, do you want to speak about that? Because I think that really needs to be addressed. Yeah, yeah, thank you, I do. Um, first, I'd like to say that, you know, given the environment of the Labor Management Partnership, which um, has an over 20-year-long history, the results of the current negotiations are especially disappointing because we are supposed to be working in partnership to provide the best care that we can. And it does not feel like this has been done in partnership. So um, to answer your question about abandoning our patients, people who go into healthcare do it for altruistic reasons. We are people who care about people and we care about how people are treated. And we do not want to walk out on our patients. It has been some of the hardest discussions that I have had as a member of the bargaining team and during the efforts at organizing in the union have been the conversations where I have to have with other frontline providers who are saying, what is going to happen to these people that I care for? Because we know that even though they'll bring in travelers and those people are licensed to provide care, it's not the same thing as an organization where people know each other and are familiar with the work site. And we have deep concern for what will happen. And we would not be making that choice if we did not believe that it was absolutely necessary to protect the future of our ability to give care. So we understand what we're being forced to do as a sacrifice in the moment for a long-term gain. And the long-term gain is the ability to protect the integrity of care for those same people six months, a year, three years down the road. But it's incredibly uncomfortable for everybody involved, and nobody is taking it lightly. And that's well put, Nicole. And but I, I've had discussions with uh, uh, other healthcare workers up in Puget Sound last year. That was actually the biggest strike in the U.S. last year. Uh, 
And I always say there's nothing wrong. There's absolutely nothing wrong with workers looking out for their own interest. Uh, if nothing else, a, a good uh, collective bargaining agreement uh, has, a, has a ripple effect on the economy, on society. But again, in healthcare, there is that issue of the care of the patients. Uh, and as far as the workers, again, uh, under the staffing, under uh, uh, wages and benefits, uh, I, I think uh, what we're seeing across the country right now, and Nicole kind of brought in the subject, is uh, is uh, to uh, quote a uh, presidential candidate and current senator from Vermont, a lot of people are saying enough is enough. Uh, did, did you feel that way with, with the people that, that you're representing? Absolutely. And uh, yeah, we have to look out for our interests because it's increasingly clear that nobody else is going to. Um, and we know that what we're doing right now is going to have an impact on healthcare workers across the country. Right now, if Kaiser permits bad contract and not to guarantee adequate staffing going forward, and effectively what they're offering is a pay cut. It's a, the, the raises are less than they have been previously and quite a bit less than inflation. Uh, if we don't hold the line here, we are really concerned about what the long-term effects are going to be, the ripple effects, as you say, for healthcare workers across the country. So, you know, we were called heroes during the pandemic. And the way that Kaiser is offering to thank us is with a really bad deal. And if we allow that to happen at this moment in history, it's going to mean bad things for other people doing the same work. So. We're, we're trying to hold the line here. Excellent. I think of the term carpe denim. Seize the day, Nicole. You folks are seizing the day. I, I have just nothing but admiration uh, for you and your crew at the bargaining committee. I'm sure that's tough. A lot of long hours, uh, back and forth, keeping that uh, link of communication with uh, the rank and file, uh, which is apparent that you've done well when you look again at that 90% strike authorization in a field like healthcare. You are uh, restricted. You have to give that notice coming up. People need to keep that in mind, a 10-day notice, uh, when those might be concerned about uh, patients being literally left in the dark in a uh, hospital. That's not going to happen. Uh, but when you walk, it is on. Um, it's at the feet of the management. Like you said, they've refused to work with this uh, system that, uh, came into place where you were supposed to uh, work as a team. Uh, Nicole, uh, you've given me a lot of time this morning. Um, can you tell, uh, you're looking at a strike authorization uh, delivered on the 15th of November in a week or so. Uh, then that would be 10 days after that. Do I have that correct? Are you there? Okay. So we have put our we have authorized the strike and we have put in notice. We put in notice on Thursday. So the strike would be eleven fifteen. Okay. Thank you for correcting me there. And uh, can you tell the listeners where they might find more information uh, on Facebook or a website? Yes, you can, and you can go to ofnhp.org um, is the website. 
for our union. And there have been a number of articles uh, with Truthout and Mother Jones. So if you just put into a search engine, Kaiser Permanente striking workers, um, it will yield many results. Truthout, Truth thank you. Absolutely more, more to be had. Nicole, excuse me, no, Ron Cotton, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I'm, we're going to close up again. This was Labor Lines. I'm John Andercheck, joined by Nicole Braun Cotton uh, with the Oregon Federation of Nurses and Healthcare Providers, giving us a lot of information on what's going on with Kaiser Permanente, a very, very large uh, healthcare organization. And uh, we're going to be keeping tabs with that. Uh, stay on the phone, if you will. I'd like to just follow this up. But folks, thanks for listening to this. This will always be my, my uh, personal best favorite. It's a hard life wherever you go. Thank you all. Pass a child on the corner, he knows And Seamus says, no, what chance has that kid got? And I say from the back, I don't know He says his barbed wire at all of these exits And there ain't no place in Belfast for that child to go Cause it's a hard life, it's a hard life, it's a very hard life It's a hard life and if we poison our children with hatred Then a hard life is all to tell for And there ain't no place in Belfast for that child at all The cafeteria line in the Chicago That man in front of me Calling black people trash to his children And he's the only trash here I see And I'm thinking this man wears a white coat In the night when his children should sleep But they'll slip to the windows and they'll see him And they'll think that white hood's all they need it's a hard life, it's a hard life, it's a very hard life It's a hard life wherever you go And if we poison our children with age Then a hard life is all that they'll know And there ain't no place in Chicago for those kids to Dreams could be held through tears
Nancy Griffin, A Hard Life. And we had that interview with Nicole Cotton. Again, uh, the, the update on that is that strike that was set to start at 6 a.m. tomorrow, Monday, November 15th, has been called off as there is a tentative agreement, or TA. The show is Labor Lines, as we've been saying. I'm John Andercheck. You can catch the entire show after it airs and standalone interviews at Labor Lines, the podcast on Anchor FM and some other platforms. So I hope you check that out. You can follow me at Twitter at LaborLineJohn. You can get hold of me at LaborLineJohn at Yahoo.com. Thanks again.